Welcome to the All-American Chapel Protestant Service Podcast. This week's sermon will be given by Chaplain Andy Anderson. Please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today to thank you for the opportunity to worship together. Lord, through all the things that are going on in our lives, um, Lord, we know that this is important. And so we thank you for a facility, we thank you for a community um, in which we can worship uh, open and freely. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that we have each week to share your word. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that we have each week to do what is right. And Lord, we pray that you make us good stewards of those opportunities. Lord, during this time where uh, we are thinking of family and festivity, Lord, we want to remember those of our brothers and our sisters and our families who are in harm's way. Lord, we pray that you give them strength. Lord, we pray uh, that you give them safety, and we pray that you give them a safe return. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to take up this offering. Lord, we thank you uh, that uh, whether it's through excess or through sacrifice, that we have an opportunity to give joyfully. And so, Lord, as we take that opportunity, we thank you. And, Lord, we thank you for teaching us to pray as well. As we pray in the way that you taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew. Most of you are probably already there. Matthew chapter 1 will be in verses 18 through 25 today. So I'm five years old. And is this loud? Feels loud. I'm five years old, and I'm standing on the end of a little John boat in the Okefenokee Swamp. My wife said to mention that we're not from the Okefenokee Swamp, from Hall County, Georgia. So we're standing on the edge of the boat, and I'm looking down into the blackest water. If you've ever been there, you know the blackest water I've ever seen. And the next moment, I'm drowning under that boat. In a flash, I'm in the water. Before I know what is taking place, the boat has hit me on the head. My dad swoops into action, jumps in, gets under that boat in that black water, fishes me out of there, throws me up on top of the boat, gets back in the boat. Dad was definitely my hero that day. Definitely was my hero that day. Wouldn't it be nice if every time we face some kind of hardship in life, a hero could just step in and rescue us from whatever hardship we might be facing? If Superman or Batman, or for me, my favorite is the Hulk, if the Hulk were real, right? If they could just swoop in, right, at the right time and rescue us 
Help us not to be afraid. Help us not to be scared. Help us not to cry. Face the evil that we might be facing. Wouldn't that just be wonderful? Well, our story today is that exact story. It is the story of the ultimate hero swooping in and rescuing us from impending doom. It's the story of Jesus, the Messiah. And he's not a fake superhero, is he? No, no, he is absolutely real. And this is what Matthew wants you to know as we look at his gospel today in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. He wants to introduce you as his audience to the greatest hero of all time, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so if you will go there with me now to verse 18. Are you there? Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. By the way, this, so every hero has an origin story, right? Right? Every good comic starts out with an origin story. This is Jesus' origin story. Ready? The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Verse 24. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Well, I know what you were thinking this morning as we read that genealogy. What? They're starting us out with the genealogy. Man, they're trying to put us to sleep from the get-go, right? The genealogy is important. We, when we read these genealogies, their effect is lost on us because we're not Hebrews living in the first century. Matthew is trying to communicate to his reader. The person that I'm about to tell you about is the ultimate hero. He comes from the line of Abraham. He comes from the line of David. He's been spoken about in the prophets. This guy, in modern terms, is genetically designed to be the hero that Israel so desperately needs. In modern terms, if, if I could put this in perspective for you, again, if Superman and Wonder Woman were real, right? And they had a kid. What kind of hero would you be envisioning in your mind? The ultimate hero. Strong, good looking, powerful, can do anything. So Matthew is teaching his audience 
The reason that this genealogy is in place is to say this is Jesus' earthly origin story. This is his family. This is his line. These are the heroes of our faith, and the person that I'm telling you about comes from these heroes. And so he wants us to understand Jesus is a hero just like Moses was a hero and Abraham was a hero and David was a hero. He's connecting them to Israel's past because those people were as real to Israel as they are to us today. So Matthew begins his story this way. And you say, well, what does it mean, Messiah? Well, it means the anointed or the chosen one. So he opens up the gospel and says, this is the lineage of the chosen one. This is the lineage of the anointed one. So every hero has an origin story. And so what we have in verses 1 through 18 is Jesus' earthly origin story. But our text today, mainly, is from verses 18 through 25, and it's Matthew recounting the divine intervention, the divine story of Jesus' birth. Because if he's just earthly, then what? Not so special, right? Not so special. But if God has intervened, well, then that changes things. That changes things dramatically. And so what we have in 18 through 25 is the story of Jesus' divine birth. Look back at 18 and 19. Look down there at verse 18. So now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So, we immediately know something that Joseph doesn't. We know that Mary is with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph don't know that. And so Joseph being a righteous man, I love this the little scene here. I'm going to get historical with you. It's not very accurate. It's pretty. But Joseph was probably uh, about... 14 or 15? Do we have anybody here who's 15? 15? Stand up. Uh, 15-year-old boy, stand up. There we go. Okay? That's what Joseph looked like. Thank you. What's your name? Anderson. Uh, Anderson? My last name's Anderson. Thank you. Okay. Do we got a 13 to 14-year-old girl? Where is a 13 to 14? Oh, look at that. There's Mary right there. <laughs> Mary, yay. Thank you, Mary. What's your name? Madison. Thank you. Thank you, Madison. That, that's really who we're talking about here, y'all. Right? Huge decisions for people at this age. Joseph was probably between 13 and 18. If he was 18, he was really old not to be married in Jewish society. Mary, probably 13 to 15 years old. Scandalous, y'all. Mary has got a belly 
And she is not married. She's betrothed. It's kind of like an engagement, but it's essentially being married. And they would spend one year in a contract, essentially, with each other, where the families arranged the marriage. They came together after a year, and they would be married. But Joseph, it says, is a righteous man. He doesn't want to disgrace her. So what he can do, based on Jewish law, is he can write up a divorce contract to end the betrothal, betrothment, and he can have Mary sign it in the presence of one other witness, and then she can move away from her community. Put her away secretly, right? So that he doesn't disgrace her. So, Joseph decides, okay, this is what I'm going to do. But then God intervenes in verses 20 through 23. Look down. When Joseph had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the Lord by the Lord through the prophet, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So Joseph has his mind made up, and then shortly after, God sends him a messenger. And the messenger says, Joseph, you got to pump the brakes. You got to pump the brakes, bro. Mary is with child through the Holy Spirit. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Can some of you remember being 14, 15 years old? All those big life decisions you had at 14 or 15? (laughs) How scared you were about so many of them? Think about this decision Joseph had to make. Right? So the angel of the Lord, God knows he's scared. So God intervenes. Joseph, don't be afraid. It's going to be okay because this child is no ordinary child. This child is from God and is God. This child is from the Holy Spirit and he will save his people from his sins. And if you look at verses 22 and 23, when you read it, it kind of sounds like the angel said this. If you look at verse 22 and 23, it kind of sounds like the angel speaking to him, and then he he gives him this prophecy. But this is actually probably Matthew interpreting what the angel said in verses 22 and 23. So there's a little break. He says, now, all this took place, so the angel speaking to Joseph and Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, Mary being impregnated by the Holy Spirit, All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So Matthew is referencing now a text from Isaiah. And it's from chapters 7, 8, and 9. I'm just going to read part of it from Isaiah 7, 10 through 14. Don't go there. Don't go there. I'll just read it to you. Then the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask for a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. So God's telling Ahaz, 
ask me for anything. Ask me for anything, and I'm going to give it to you as a sign that I'm with you. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Okay? So that's from Isaiah 7. In this prophecy, what's taking place, and I'm going to give you a little bit more history, okay? It's important. That's why Matthew has it in there. In this prophecy, the northern kingdom has made an alliance with Syria, and they're about to invade the southern kingdom of Judah. And Isaiah and King Ahaz are freaking out, okay? They're scared. And God comes to them and says, ask me for a sign, because I'm going to be with you. This is not going to happen. I'm going to sustain you. You can ask me for anything. And Ahaz kind of gets a little prideful. He says, oh, no, I'm not, I don't, I don't need a sign, God. And God says, don't, don't test my patience. Just don't test my patience. I'm going to give you a sign anyway to let you know that I'm with you, that I will sustain you, and that God is going to see you through this. Now, when we read these Isaiah prophecies, right, because we always read this around Christmas, Emmanuel, so on and so forth, we read this, and the, again, the impact is lost on us. Because when we read it, what do we immediately think of? Jesus, right? You, immediately, you read that, and you think, oh, look, God's talking about Jesus right there in the Old Testament, right? When we do that, we cannot overlook the, the fact that God was speaking to Israel in their context. God was answering Israel's prayer then. God was working to reassure Israel in that day. You say, well, why is that so important? Ultimately, the text does speak to Christ, right? All the text speaks to Christ. That's important. But when we downplay and when we read those things and we say, oh, look, he's talking about Jesus. That's coming in the future. We're downplaying what God was doing then. Why does that matter? Because it matters what God is doing in your life now. Jesus didn't save you just for the moment that you die. He didn't. He saved you to work in your life when? Now. He saved you to rescue you from yourself every day. (laughs) And so why is Matthew citing this text in Isaiah? Here's what he's saying. In the way that God was working in Israel Hundreds of years ago, God is working in Israel now. Why does that matter? Because God is working in your life right now. That's why that matters. Right? So when we read these texts, we cannot overlook the fact that Isaiah, I'm sorry, Matthew is placing Jesus in the story of God's redemptive history. And he's saying, just like God was with Israel then, Guess what? God is with Israel now, today, through Jesus the Messiah. Whew. So, we've been given a significant amount of information so far. Just as God was in covenant with Abraham, he was in covenant with David. 
Jesus is connected with Israel's redemptive history through the prophecy in Isaiah. And he's telling his audience that in the same way that God was rescuing Israel back then, he's, Jesus is here to rescue us right now, today. But this time, something is different. There is something different. This time, God is intervening in the world not only to rescue Israel, amen, but to rescue you and I, to rescue the Gentiles, to rescue the tax collectors, as Matthew, who's writing, to rescue the least and the lost, the ones on the fringe, on the edge of humanity. God is here to rescue them today. And so now look back with me at verses 24 through 25 as we finish up this portion of the narrative. So, Joseph wakes up from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. What, that, I love that because it's like Joseph just wakes up and obeys. Wouldn't it be nice if after you prayed you just got up and obeyed? <laughs> okay, God, yes, I'll do it. And he took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. By the way, by naming him, he took ownership of him. If you remember, if you remember in the Gospels in John, I'll give you an example of why this was so scandalous. If you remember, Jesus uh, is talking to the Pharisees, and he's questioning their faith, and because they're calling themselves children of Abraham. And they say to Jesus, we know who our father is. Why are they saying that? Because they remember this right here. They remember that Mary got pregnant, not by Joseph. And so they're insulting him. Right? So Joseph took ownership of that. He essentially adopted Jesus. And all the ridicule that came with it. A lot's taken place in a short time in Joseph and Mary's life. They're now the proud parents of the Savior of the world. Not a lot of pressure there. You know, not a lot of pressure. But Matthew's done something here that, he, that we cannot miss. He's rooted Jesus firmly in Israel's history he has told us the child was conceived by the Holy Spirit, so his divine birth. So what did Matthew want his audience to take away from all this? What does he want his audience to take away from this portion of the story? Well, I'll give you, I'll give you two things. Okay? You, can, you can write these down if you'd like. If not, you'll probably remember them for sure. First, Jesus fulfills all the promises of God. That's what he wants his first century Jewish audience who's struggling with their Jewish identity to know about Jesus. It was paramount for them. Remember, Matthew spends a lot of time initially placing Jesus in the story of God's redemptive history. Why is he doing that? Well, those who were Christ followers, Matthew's audience, they were Jewish. And they were not saying to other Jews, let's stop being Jewish and let's be Christian, right? They were saying, 
Here's what it means to be Jewish, to follow the Messiah, to follow Jesus. And so Matthew wants his, wants his audience to know if you're following Christ, you are being obedient to God's word. You are following the covenant that God made with Abraham and with David, with Israel, so on and so forth, because you are following the one, the only one, who fulfills all those promises and covenants. So Jesus is the one who fulfills all of God's promises. Second, Jesus is here to save us from our sins. Remember, at the time of this writing, it's most likely the temple had been destroyed. And a lot of Jews were looking for somebody to push back, to rebel against Rome. Matthew wants his audience to know up front, Jesus is not leading a political rebellion. He's leading a spiritual one. (laughs) He's here to save you from your sins. And if you will remember, this was not a well-received message when Jesus was preaching. In fact, it got him what? Crucified. Well, 40 years later, it's still not a well-received message, but that doesn't mean that it's not the message that we need right now. That Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has come to rescue me from danger that I might not even be aware of. My sin. And while 2,000 years has passed, times really hadn't changed, have they? Every Christmas, right? People like the little baby Jesus. They like the Jesus that gets out the decorations. They like the Jesus that gets their family together. They love the Jesus that gets the good presents, right? But Jesus Christ, who came to deliver me from my sins? No. No, that's a controversial message. It's not a popular message, but it is the message that everyone needs to hear this Christmas. A message of hope. You no longer have to live in the bondage of your sin because the hero is here. Amen? You no longer have to be addicted to drugs. Who's got family members that are having problems or friends with drugs? Probably all of us know someone. In bondage. In bondage to alcoholism. In bondage to sin. That message that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is here to rescue us from our sins is the greatest message that any of us could share. It's the greatest gift that any of us could give at Christmas time. Not a present under the tree. That, in the end, that will just burn up and be nothing. But the message of hope that each of us has to share that Jesus is here to rescue us, is the best gift that any of us could give for Christmas, the gift of forgiveness. I didn't plan to tell you all this, but um, probably make the sermon not as good now since I'm bringing it up. Uh, So when I was in uh, Afghanistan a couple of months ago, counseling uh, this young lady, she uh, started asking me all these questions about Christianity, about chaplains, and uh, so she said she'd like to come sit down with me. Okay, great. So I meet with her. 
one of the things that I ask people to do um, if they're not believers and they're open to trying something new because things are not working, right, in their life, is I ask them for the week between the first visit and the second every day to spend about five minutes talking to God. Even if they don't believe, I ask them to try talking to God every day for about five minutes. So, uh, anyway, that, so she, she went on her way, and um, week went by, and I was thinking about, you know, our meeting that was coming up that night, and I was, I was leaving the DFAC, and I thought to myself, I wonder, I wonder what she prayed about, you know? Like, I wonder what she prayed about. And I, and I thought to myself, I bet she just asked to be forgiven. Not in the way that we traditionally understand it, but I bet that she probably asked God for some type of forgiveness. So, so we're, she comes in, and uh, talking with her, get to it, and I say, how did, how did that go for you, you know? And uh, she says, oh, it went really good, you know? And I said, what, if you don't mind, what did you pray about? And she said, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Right? It's the best gift, y'all. <laughs> There's no greater gift than to be forgiven. So, we have that, right? We've, we've been given that. And we get to share that. So if Matthew wants us to know those two things, right? That Jesus fulfills all the promises of God and Jesus is here to rescue us from our sins, what do we do with that, right? Well, how, do we, how do we put feet to this and take it out of here? Well, first, I want to encourage you, we should share the gift of Christ. We should share that message. In whatever way we can share it, we should share it. Because 25 December is coming, and for a lot of people, forgiveness is not a reality when they wake up on 25 December. It's not. Hope is not a reality. It's just another reason to get together with friends and family and eat some food. You say, well, pastor, tell me how I can, how, how can I do that? How can I share Jesus? Okay. Here's a way that I do it at uh, like Thanksgiving and Christmas. One of the ways that I do it, and I bet some of you probably uh, do this, is uh, <laughs> when I was sharing this in the pastor's meeting, one of the pastors said, I don't like that. I don't like doing that. Um, I ask everyone after the meal's finished to go around the table and share what they're thankful for or how God has worked in their life over the past year. And of course, when it gets to my turn, guess what I talk about? <laughs> Jesus, right? I talk about my salvation, how thankful I am, how happy I am to know that God has forgiven me and saved me, and all the wrong that I might have done is forgiven, right? And that's why I'm thankful, right? So that's a way that you can share Jesus this Christmas. Another way that you can share Jesus this Christmas if, is to give a thought-provoking gift, a thought-provoking gift, a book that I give to people all the time. Um, if they're questioning spirituality, God, whatever, is The Reason for God by Tim Keller. Has anyone read The Reason for God by Tim Keller? Anyone? Yeah, great, great, great. It is a fantastic evangelistic book. It is a fantastic book. It is a way that you can put something in someone's hand, and then later you can say, hey, 
Did you read any of that book? What did you think? Right? Sharing the message of hope, the message of forgiveness. Second, some of you here this morning might celebrate Christmas, but you don't really celebrate Jesus because you don't know him as your Savior. Matthew definitely wants us to go away sharing Christ, that the Messiah is here. But he also definitely wants us to confess Christ, to repent, and to trust Christ the Savior. Amen? No doubt about it. He's made the announcement. Jesus is here to save you. And so this morning you may be here, and while Christmas might be special to you, it might not be what it is meant to be. And that is the celebration of the Savior of the world. Because he might not be your Savior. And so this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm asking you to do some reflection. Where are you this morning? Are you celebrating the Savior this Christmas? Are you celebrating something else? Is Christ really your Savior? Is he really the Messiah who has come in and rescued you from the greatest danger that there is? Or is he just another reason to get together? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all that you have done in every one of our lives. I thank you for the way that you've been working in the lives of those who may be here that don't know you. I know, and those who are here that know you know, that you are always working in the lives of lost people, in the lives of people who do not yet believe in your Son. And so, Father, we today resoundingly say thank you, thank you, thank you for the work that you've been doing and those around us that don't know you. God, we pray that this Christmas we would share the gift of the Savior, of Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One who has come to rescue us from our greatest enemy, our own sin. And so this morning as we take time to reflect on your mercy, Father, we praise you for sending Jesus to rescue us at the right time, today, now, and forevermore. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. That was this week's All-American Chapel Protestant Service podcast. Please tune in for next week's podcast.